Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Battleground Community Church. Whether it's not your first time, it may be your first time in our new worship center, and we're tickled to death to to almost be completely finished with with phase one. And and so before you open your Bibles, I just wanted to couch if if the worship hasn't couched you in praise and gratefulness enough, I, I just can't hold this to the end. And so I want to I want to orient us completely toward grace this morning before we open our text. And so just wanted to let you in to to what it means to move forward by faith. And if, if you're new to us, you don't know we've been in a, a capital campaign to to renovate this space. And if you didn't see it before, you can't really appreciate uh, what's happened over the last few months. But in the midst of all of our uh, this forward by faith, you're pastor was diagnosed with cancer which he is now in remission of by faith and and we have all pledged by faith and people began to to give inside and out by faith and God has done amazing things and we'll talk about that in the future of the small things that some of us who look at it from day to day see and some of you may have not and not be privy to we want you to see how God has worked all through the details Uh, but this week we needed to write that final check uh, to our contractor, and, and the truth is our, our, our capital fund, was there wasn't enough money in there to write the check. In other words, if we had wrote the check, and I, not that you, any of you have ever done this, but we would have been overdrawn in that account. And so we, we, we was wondering, what, Lord, what are we going to do? And on the same day, one of our ministry partners from the outside who has helped us uh, many times in, in years gone by, um, donated $50,000 to the capital campaign on the same day. So come on now. And uh, I'm a Baptist preacher, but I, I didn't know what was about to come out of my mouth after that. But I just wanted you to see on, on, on when we needed it, when we didn't have it, someone outside of us put it in our account for us. And, and that's an important illustration today. And, uh, and so I just wanted you to see it. Uh, how much more worship does God deserve who paid our debt, who covered us and removed our sin? That's what we want to look at today. So let's, let's now let's, let's turn in our Bibles to see something better, something better. Romans chapter 4. In verse 1, let's stand in honor of God's word. Romans 4. Beginning in verse 1, we're looking down to verse 8 this morning. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven 
and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Let's pray. Lord, we stand amazed in your presence this morning. Because you have done great things among us. Who here this morning, whether it's in their individual lives or whether it's in our corporate life, cannot stand here and say, you have taken such good care of your people. God, if you never gave us anything good, you have forgiven us, covered our sins, and removed them as far as the east is to the west. And So today we just say, glory is your name. Lord, we thank you for sending your son today. Help us to understand how we can all be made right. Help us to understand what do the scriptures say. In Jesus' name, amen. That's really the point. If you, if you find the text and keep it marked this morning, where do you turn when you have a question? Big questions or small questions? Where do you turn? Who do you ask? Google first. Maybe call your parents or your spouse. Verse 3. Ask the right question. When it comes to ultimate question here is, can someone really be saved by faith alone? I mean, it. It seems there's something in us that wants to do something for our salvation. That's why every other religion tells you what to do. But here's what Paul says in verse 3. What does the Scripture say? And here's what you've got to ask yourself. What Scripture is he talking about? Talking about the Old Testament. Saying if we are saved by faith alone, then we ought to see it in the Old Testament, not just the New. And so he says, well, let's look at that. And so verses 1 to 8 is sort of overviewing, and we're going to stay with this man called Abraham for a while. So we're just going to introduce it today, and I want to ask some questions today. And we just have three Fs, fullness, finality, and family. I want us to understand as what the gift of, of faith brings. One commentator was very helpful this week that said believing brings belonging, and that's the point of chapter 4. He wants you to get that, not all the way through Romans, but especially here. It's why he brings in Abraham as an illustration. The believing brings belonging. Look at that here in a minute. But let's think about fullness. I just wanted us to praise the Lord as if the music didn't take us to the gospel enough, which it did. Let's just look at a couple things that we'll look at in detail in the future. When it comes to fullness, the fullness of faith alone in Christ brings us into Christ. Into Christ. And what does that provide for us? Too, too many things to look at this morning, but can I just give you three it gives us intimacy. It gives us intimacy. Now, intimacy is the opposite of separation. 
And I pray none of you ever go through this, but if you have, you know what I mean. That if you are separated from your spouse, intimacy is not the first thing on the list, is it? It's not happening. Intimacy is the opposite of separation. It is the opposite of enmity. It's the opposite of strife. It's the opposite of wrath. And in the high priestly prayer in John 17, 3, we read, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. And so then he lays out for us there in John, that the standard for intimacy is the relationship between the Father and the Son. It is triune. The high priestly prayer makes no sense unless it is the ramblings of a madman. Unless there is a, the person of the Father and the person of the Son and they have a relationship though they are one. This intimacy is this oneness real relationship and intimacy that they share. Being in Christ means we bring, get brought into that kind of intimacy. But not only that, look, at, look with me in Hebrews chapter 4. This intimacy gives us access. We don't have to go through anyone else. You don't have to come to me to get access to God. You don't have to go to anybody else. Hebrews 4 verse 14 tells us this. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but the one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Here it is. Here's intimacy. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Intimacy brings knowing, intimate knowing. It brings access. And listen, it brings privileges. And this privileges is both a giver and the gifts. Who is the giver? We are given the very Holy Spirit. This is the fullness of what faith in Christ alone brings. It brings the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.4 says it is that Holy Spirit then that gives us gifts. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then the fullness brings gifts. Gifts, grace on top of grace. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7 says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Now there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of a spirit for the common good. Faith in Christ alone brings 
privileges. It brings intimacy and it brings an inheritance. Ephesians 3, 6 says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members, listen, of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We have an inheritance. Faith alone brings us fullness in Christ. And listen, it also brings us fullness in Christ's community. That is the body. Now, if you look at your text, you would see that that he uses this term. Abraham is our forefather. And the Jews would say, well, now hold on a second. No, no, he's our forefather. We can track our lineage back to him. But them, them Greeks that got saved, those Romans that got saved, and now they're part of the church, them Gentiles, they, they don't have no lineage in Abraham. What are you talking about? He's not their forefather. Paul's describing that you don't understand the gospel. We know not the gospel. To say, that's why he brings up Abraham, to say that the Jews held Abraham in high regard is like the understatement of the century. If you remember, if you read the New Testament, anytime the Jews felt threatened, they would always go to that. We know Abraham's our father. We can track him back to that. You know, remember God made him a promise. He's our guy. Remember Jesus all the time. Well, you sure don't act like it. Your fruit doesn't bear witness that you are Abraham's children. The point is that Abraham was the most important figure in Judaism. And, and, and Paul uses him to say, okay, well, let's put this issue of faith alone on the table. Faith alone or faith plus works or works or some manner of something in between. Let's just, let's just ask Abraham, right? Let's just ask him. How can we ask Abraham? We'll go back and go back into Scripture. What does the Scripture say? Because he knows this founder, this father of faith would make an impact on those that are listening. He's connecting. Believing brings belonging. It brings us into a people. I don't, I don't want to go ahead because we're going to go there anyway and make this point even more clear. But what we've already read in Romans is Romans 2.29. And it says this, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so our spiritual lineage, our redemptive story, goes from Abraham to Israel to a seed who is Christ that begat the church. Okay? That's your story. That's the Bible story. Abraham, Israel, the seed who is Christ, begat the church. Galatians 3 and verse 8. Know, know then that it is to those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Let me read that again. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Look down if you've got Galatians 3 opened and look at verse 16. Could not be clearer who the offspring is of Abraham. Now the promise promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Christ was the promised seed of Abraham. It's not about Israel. It's about Christ and his church and all those who are in the body must come through faith alone. To them they are Christ's body. Christ's body is a multicultural, multi-ethnic people united by faith in Christ alone. This was the greatest, this was a critical barrier between the Jews and Gentiles. And it is still a barrier to this day. Christ alone brings us into a body. And we don't all look alike. We don't all have the same background and culture, but we have one common unity, Christ, and our faith in Him. Matthew 28 is our marching orders. It matters not where, where our, our homeland is, because He gave it to all people, the Great Commission. Go make disciples of Christ, of all people, and baptizing them into Christ and into His church. The biblical picture for this is baptism. The biblical picture for this is baptism. This is a handy little book that's out there. If you've never really studied baptism before, you might want to get it and just read it. I just want to read this. This is the definition. It comes out of here and they sort of work it out. Anybody that's going to be baptized, you're going to read this book. And I'm going to go through it with you or your parents will. Let me just read this to you. Baptism is a church's act of affirming and portraying a believer's union with Christ by immersing him or her in water and a believer's act of publicly committing him or her to Christ and to his people, thereby uniting a believer to the church and marking him and her off from the world. Baptism is a picture of, it is an illustration of that which has happened of us being not only united with Christ, but being united to His body. It is the church's act. It is not something that we do at a summer camp. It is not something that we do at a nonprofit organization. It is done by the church because Christ established the church. To the church, gave, God gave the Great Commission. It is our responsibility to affirm this in people's life. To that they bear witness of a believer's union in Christ. And we do that by putting them into the water and bringing them up, saying, therefore, they are united not only to Christ but to His church, and they are separated out from the world. Illustrations are important. So now look at your text. That's why he brings up Abraham. Abraham. We have a biblical example Turn with me to understand this example. 
Because all, all Paul is doing is quoting the Old Testament. Turn with me to Genesis 15. Keep your place in Romans 4. Because that's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, is faith, is, faith, is, faith, is it faith alone or is it faith plus works? Is it works and then faith? He said, well, let's see what Abraham. Let's look at this story. Let's look at him as an illustration. Genesis 15 verse 4 says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, speaking of a servant. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So let's just ask some questions. According to that, is faith a work? Faith expects Jesus to do the work. Faith expects Jesus to do the work that he promised he would do and that he has done. I like Spurgeon. We used this last week. Let me bring it back up again this week. Spurgeon said, Faith is believing that Christ is what he said he is said to be and that he will do what he has promised to do and then to expect this of him. We are saved by works. We are saved by Jesus' works and our faith in that. So then how then can he say that Abraham was justified before Christ has even came, before Christ has even died on the cross? It's a good question. They were justified by faith. They looked toward the seed. They looked toward the promise that promised a future redeemer. One that would fulfill everything. And every time, every time God brought greater revelation of what was coming, they had greater understanding that this future redeemer, this seed would come and he would make things right once for all. They had faith in the, in, in the promises of Yahweh. They had faith in the promise to bring the seed. And so God counted that is righteous to them. They were saved in the same way. And according to this text, which is first working or believing? Find Isaac in the story. He's later, brothers and sisters. Faith is first. But see, this is not, we, we may say, yeah, yeah, I got it. But the Jews were sitting here rocked on their just wanted to read you a couple of extra-biblical Jewish sources. One Jewish short source says this, Abraham was perfect in all his dealings with the Lord and gained favor by his righteousness throughout his life. The Maccabees, they were added in the Catholic Bible that's not in the Protestant Bible for a reason says this, was not Abraham found faithful when he was tested and it was reckoned to him as righteous? Hence their belief that you must cooperate with justification, that, is, that it is faith plus works. Paul says, no, what does the scripture say? God made a promise to him and Abraham believed it. 
simple faith. That's what we see. A man who is led from his home and in a pagan background to the Ur, to Ur, and then we see in Genesis 15 a, a promise and faith, and then something being credited to him, something being counted to him. And what the Bible says in Genesis 15, it was was righteous. That's what he's telling us. And so he's telling the church in Rome, it's the same thing I'm telling you today. Go back. He's saying. 2,000 years in their time, people were saved the same way they are now, by faith. 4,000 years after Abraham, how are we saved? By faith. God does not change. Hebrews 13, 8. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, if Abraham would have done one righteous act, he would have had something to brag about. So what our text is saying, if we turn back over to Romans 4, verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. He didn't have anything to boast about before God. How can we understand this justification? Paul really wants to make sure that we understand one word this morning. It's the word counted. Your version might say credited. It's what got me thinking about our good news, because this is what this word means. It's, Jason, you'll appreciate this. It's an accounting term. It means to write it down in a ledger as an asset to someone's financial account. Isn't that awesome? It's to say, I'm spiritually broke, God. My sin, my debt. My problems, my issues. Being counted righteous is when he writes it down in the ledger of your spiritual account, righteous. Today, today, if you look at our capital fund campaign bank account, it is not zero, nor is it in the negative. It is in the positive because someone outside of us gave us grace. That's the picture. That you are saved by grace. Don't pollute God's grace by thinking that you can add something alongside of it when all of your goodness is as filthy rags. Don't do it. Just throw your hands up in the air. And say, you're right, I'm wrong. God save me. No one who calls on the Lord will be turned away. What does the scriptures say? What does he mean in verse 3 when he says that? He means that the Old Testament is holy scripture. It is all God's word. It is all authoritative. In the Old Testament and the New Testament is one authoritative book. And we do not have a right to split it down the middle and throw one part away of our life. We do so at our own peril. And what the Old Testament and the New Testament teaches us is that God does not owe me anything. But listen, because I am in Christ and live by faith alone, I don't owe God for my salvation. Is it a team effort? This is what he wanted to make sure of. So he gives us verse 4 and 5. You see it? Now to the one who works, his wages are, are not counted as a gift, but it's due. 
And to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is a very simple illustration that you understand if you go to work every day. Because let's say you work 40 hours a week. What you were doing is you were putting your employer in debt. Because you are working, this is a contractual agreement, for so much an hour, for so long. Or you work on a salary. And by, at the end of that period, whenever that pay period, the agreed upon pay period is, that employer owes you your due. Right? That's not, that's not grace. Bonuses are grace, by the way. And you shouldn't act like you expect it or deserve it. Mm, somebody needs to think about that. When bonus comes around, you get mad because somebody didn't give you what you think you deserve. But your pay, and that's what he's using as an illustration. If you're treating salvation like you're working at a job and then God owes you something, well, then there's a channel on TV that you can watch that'll just fit you to a T. That acts like we somehow can put God under our thumb. No. Salvation is not like a paycheck that you earn. It is not a debt. Salvation is by grace. God owes us nothing. The wages of sin is death. If he owes us anything, it is hell. If he owes you anything this morning, it is an eternal place outside the presence of God. We do not live, though, on the other extreme as Christians by faith with what we call a debtor's ethic, acting as if we owe God for our salvation. It is a gift. It is grace. And you don't owe him for it. We don't do what we do. We don't do acts of kindness. We don't do the good works, which, we, which is what faith produces. Because we're trying to pay God back. That is not freedom. We live in grace. We live out of that grace. That is freedom. There is fullness of faith in Christ alone. It's fullness that comes not only in Christ, but in His family but the gift of faith also brings a finality to this. And that's why he brings up David. He brings up David. How did David... So he says, here's what he's going back to. What does the Scripture say? How do we answer, answer this? He said, well, let's... You, want my, you, you need to do it too. He, he said, let's go over to Psalms. Let's look at Psalms 32. And let's we see how David understands justification. And so that's how Paul's answering the questions. Just... Let's go back to Psalms and let's look, at, let's look at Genesis first. Now let's look at Psalms. It's really important to connect verse 5 to what he's doing. Let me read verse 5 again. It says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the what? Ungodly. His faith is counted in righteousness. And so now pull your illustrations back in. Who is he illustrated? Who is our two illustrations this morning? What two figures? Abraham and David. Who's the ungodly then? 
Abraham and David were. Hold on a second. Wait a minute, David? I mean, the dude killed Goliath? I mean, I I read that story of Jonathan. Man after God's own heart. Are Are you kidding me? He was the shepherd king. But without Christ, without faith in the promises of Yahweh, he was just another wicked man. That's what he's teaching them. Who, ungodly, me? That's, that, that's just chapter 1 and chapter 3 coming back up. Un, me? Yeah, you. So he connects David and Abraham with this. He justifies. If you are perfectly righteous, you don't need to be justified. There's just never been one besides Christ. All the rest of us are wicked. David was. It's the context for Psalms 51. It's the, Psalm, the context for Psalms 32. Because justification comes only to the ungodly by means of grace. What David is, is describing is what we might call the blessings of the justified or blessings of justification or the fruit of justification. How what we experience and what we see and what happens to us. Verse 6. Then we'll go to Psalms 32. Let me just read Romans 4 6. It says, Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. If you flip over now to the to the passage that he's referring to in Psalms 32. Look down at verse 5. This is huge to understand to start with. Look at David's response. I acknowledge my sin, Psalms 32, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin David turns to the only one that can deal with, and far from he himself trying to cover his own sin, he uncovers it, he acknowledges it, and he asks the Lord for forgiveness. David receives three things according to this text. He receives forgiveness, he receives covering, and he receives removal. The fancy word in 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 the theological terms, is he receives expiation. It is removed from him. Let me just read back in Romans 4. All he's doing, I just want you to grab this. All he's doing is quoting the Old Testament now. This is a lot of the New Testament. They just quote each other. Because why? Because it's all Scripture. In Romans 4, verses 7 to 8, he quotes Psalms 32, 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not count his sin. You see it, he turns to the Lord for forgiveness. He acknowledges his sin and as a result, he is forgiven. His sins are covered. And it says, they will never be counted against you 
Paul was using this as an example that David understood that he was saved, he was declared righteous, and his sins removed by faith. He understood it just like Abraham understood it. And there's more to be said and more will be said about, about these men. But Abraham and David are standing up this morning as two witnesses from Scripture to testify to the fact that both under the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, all people were justified one way before God, by faith. And as a result of their faith, their sins were covered and their sins were removed. In other words, they were removed finally and fully. David rejoices in this. He said, blessed, I think it's verse 8, Blessed in Psalms 32, verse 8. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. They could not pay for their own sins. So he turned to Yahweh, and Yahweh covered them. Yahweh removed them. Didn't have the burden of the sins on him anymore. The focus is not just to become neutral. He needed the unrighteousness. He needed the burden of the sins of what he had done. Deception, adultery, murder. He needed that weight that sin produces in your life and in your conscience. He needed it off of him. He needed that removed. That thing that comes around every time something bad happens. And that thing, that's just like happened last time. Remember? If God says that he removes it, to never bring it up to you again, I ask you this morning, who's bringing it up to you? Because it's either yourself or it's the devil, but God doesn't break his promises. So we've got to receive that this morning and then begin to celebrate it. Blessed is the man. That God will never, ever, this is a promise, He will never write it down in His ledger book what you did when you were 16. Why? Because you have brought that to Him. And you have slid that over to Him. And you just said, guilty. Guilty. No excuses. I'm guilty. Jesus, would you? I will. That's what he did on the cross. David rejoiced in this. I think that's sort of in me this morning with all of what God is doing. He rejoiced because of this. Two things in justification that are essential for you to understand. Unrighteousness gets removed and righteousness is received. Forgiven, covered, counted righteous. That's the fruit. That's what it feels like. But these two things are happening, and they're happening because Christ provided it for you. Because we could not provide it for ourselves. The blessed person, the blessed person, is the joy-filled person because they have what the what Scripture says, joy unspeakable and full of glory because of this. I am finally and fully adopted as a child into a family 
with the Father who will never cast me out. And nor will he remind me what I did when I was eight. Because he's a good father. And when he forgives, he forgives. And when he adopts, he adopts. And if your doctrine doesn't allow for what Scripture says is true, you've got the wrong doctrine, no matter who preaches it. What does the Scriptures say? Psalms 32, verse 7, celebrating this forgiveness, this weight. It says that you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, of victory. Verse 10 and 11, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright of heart. Why? Because you are righteous. Because you are a child. And not because you earned it, not because you deserved it but because Christ accomplished it for you to be received by faith. Oh, just a word here. We're going to come back to this. The gift of faith brings fullness. It brings finality. It also brings family. This is the picture. This is why in the old we have Israel, and this is why in the new we have the church. And We'll have more to say about that. But what I want you to see is it's not just Abraham, and it's not just Christ. Abraham begat the people of God. The people of God had the seed. The seed brought as, was Christ, and Christ begat the church. We, we are saved into a family. And let me just read this. I think it's on the screen, but it's just so good. It's, it's worth studying and pondering. Quote, Faith is not just what I assent to. It is also about whom I belong to. Faith is about a family, a Christ-shaped, spirit-filled, and God-centered family. Faith is not a privatized affair, but it is a genuinely family event. God does not save us and then assign us a number until it is time to go to heaven one individual at a time. Rather, God saves us and puts us into his family for the purpose of sharing in the family business of worship and mission. Our sense of identity, purpose, security, and worth is bound up with belonging. The church is the place where that identity, purpose, security, sense of worth are formed. It is in that sense of belonging that enables us to flourish as individuals and even as whole communities. To be a believer, as one person said, is to be a belonger. So, here's one of my concerns for us today. Do I believe that something can happen in my life that can change God's mind about me? Do you live that way? As if every morning, depending on what I do or what I say or how I act or, or what somebody does to me, that somehow God's going to say, no, you know, you were a child, you were my, or you were my child, but I'm going to open up the family Bible, as it were, and mark your name out. Just try harder next time. Listen to what J.I. Packer says. 
Nobody can produce new evidence of your depravity that will make God change his mind. God justified you, so to speak, with his eyes open. He knew the worst about you at the time when he accepted you for Jesus' sake. And the verdict which he passed then was and is final. It's a good word. The word final, that's the reason you have final in your outline. That quote right there. It's final. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't even matter what you say about yourself. It ultimately matters what God says. Jesus knows it all, whatever you put in the it. He knew it. He knows it. He saved you anyway. It's good news. He paid it all. He paid the it. Whatever you put in there. Faith unites us to Christ, and being united in Him, we receive a righteousness that we cannot earn, and we also receive the privilege of belonging. This is my question for you today. If believing, this is the question, if believing brings belonging, how am I embracing that privilege? If believing brings belonging into the body of Christ, in a way that looks like the kind of intimacy and relationship that the Father has with the Son? What does that look like in my life? And so, I just want you, we, we don't shame slap people here. Don't think we need to. The Holy Spirit's job is, to, is I, sh- I just throw the word out there. Throw the seeds. The Spirit does the work. But we do want to give you opportunities, so you should have a piece of paper in your seat or close to you that you can grab. What these are is, is every small group, including a brand new small group that's about to start. It has the word new beside of it. There's actually two of them. I have given you names of the people that you need to talk to that can give you the information that you need. Here's the goal. You see that there's, we're even about to start a Sunday morning growth group. It, it is to remove any reason, any excuse, or any real problems that we have with the logistics and the seasons of our life. So that we all can experience biblical community in the life of believers who have been brought into Christ. Because... The blessed life is a shared life. And those who, are, who understand, I've almost been married 30 years. And I wouldn't change it for the world. Why? Because the blessed life is a shared life. So I would implore you. I'm not trying to do anything other than to say Christ died to give you a family. And so avail yourself of that family. And so now what we come to is a time to respond to this. To respond every week. And that's what the tables are really about. It's about responding in multiple ways. But the two essential ways is that we respond to the tables. When we come to the table because of what Christ has done. Of not only bringing us into Christ, but bringing us as a community into one people, into his body. And when we come to the tables, that's what we are remembering of what it took 
to bring us not only into Christ, but to give us a forever family. And as we think about those things, as we respond in generosity and through the tables, God promises that he will receive our worship and be with us in his grace. And so let us worship. Let's pray. So Lord, now as we come, we come to say, Lord, we, we want to experience you in your fullness because we have received these promises that are full and finally true. So Lord, now as we get ready, as we prepare ourselves to come to the tables and make our offerings to you, these are not to pay a debt, God. Your son's already paid that. We offer these as an offering of praise, an offering of devotion, of renewal, of thanksgiving, celebrating that the peace that we have, you paid for that with the blood of your son. So, Father, we... We love you. We thank you right now that we can call you Father. Because without your son we wouldn't be able to. We thank you that because of your son we have access right now. To come into the throne room of grace. To receive the promises. To look forward to a day when we'll all be around a table. Celebrating in your presence forever. Until that day, Lord, we will come to the tables every week to say, come, Lord Jesus. But Lord, now, receive our worship.